So, I've been struggling with a problem uh, for the last, oh, let's say six months, but it may be longer than that. And it's how do we live a Jesus-centred life in a post-Christian or secular world? How do we do that? Um, today I'm going to bring up some stats for you. I've got to wear glasses, it's terrible. Um, so I was going through the ABS statistics back from 1986. Now in 1986 I was uh, 18, turning 19. Um, and the population at that stage was about 73% Christian here in Australia. And then if you break that up into the Catholics, which was about... Oh, I forgot to change the writing on that. <laughs> there you go. The joys of formatting. Okay, so in 1986, the Catholic population was about 26%. And the Protestant churches, which is all of the others that associate with Christian churches, is about 47%. Okay? And those that said that they have no religion... That was about 12%, okay? Um, and then if we jump over to the other side, the, uh, which is 2016, the orange at the bottom is actually the Protestant churches. The purple on the left-hand side is the non-religion and the blue is the Catholic church. So the Catholic church did drop a little bit, 22%. The Protestant churches has dropped down to 29%. And the no religion side has changed from 12% up to 30%. So there is a change. There is a, a dramatic change that's happening in Australian society. And many would argue that Australian society is no longer a Christian nation, but a secular nation. While we think about these stats, I want us to think about an image that I've had in the last few months. So what is life like? To me, it's like us racing down a freeway. Everyone is going down this freeway, the freeway of life. Many of us are doing 100 k's an hour and just racing to get to wherever we need to get to, bolting down. Others are having accidents on this freeway. They crash or they have what they call a fake accident, which causes a traffic jam. I don't know if you've ever seen the documentation where someone breaks suddenly, then the car behind them breaks suddenly, then the car behind them breaks suddenly, and everyone breaks suddenly, and then all of a sudden there's a traffic jam, but there's no particular reason for the traffic jam. The, the first car then takes off, and then gradually the rest of the cars take off. So life is like this. that It's full of crazy people driving down a mad freeway. Up ahead there is a sign, and it's a sign that says... If you want a Jesus-centred life, you've got to go off on the exit, turn off on the exit. But the rest of the world, we're going to head straight down towards secularism. So what is secularism? On an initial point, it is the simple fact that governments and religion are separate. So governments are not... Uh, influenced by religion 
and in theory, religions are not influenced by governments. There's a complete separation. What does that mean practically? That means a tolerance of all religions. So our society has become more and more tolerant of all religions. And some people view that, that they have the freedom to be who they are, what they want to be, without that accountability in a religious sense. So what is a Jesus-centred life? Initially, a a Jesus-centred life essentially is described as putting Jesus first and following his way of life, his way of living. So over the rest of this uh, message, I want to share with you four snapshots of Jesus' life and just to sort of reflect on that. In the beginning of his earthly ministry, so Jesus was baptised by John the Baptist, and then he came up and then he went out into the desert and was tempted by the devil for 40 days, 40 nights, and then he started his ministry. John the Baptist, in Mark's Gospel, it has that John the Baptist was put in prison, and Jesus begins with these words, the kingdom of God has drawn near. Change your thinking and believe in the good news. And he went throughout Galilee. So in that time, the Roman Empire is a big empire. So you've got Rome as the centre of the world. You've got Jerusalem as this outback country town sort of thing that is the centre of the Jewish religion. And Galilee is out in the bush from there. So if we took it from an a Adelaide perspective, you might have the eastern seaboard as the main part of Australia. Adelaide's this smaller city compared to the rest of it. And Jesus is preaching somewhere out oh, Morgan or even beyond Morgan out in the outbacks that people are coming to hear the kingdom of God has drawn near. Change your thinking and believe the good news. Now, we often hear the phrase repent, which means, and in the English sense, we think of that of being remorseful for all the wrong things we do. The, the Greek could be translated that way or it could be translated in change the way you're thinking. Just change to think that God has drawn near. Um, and that was good news to people. We heard Phil, what, a month ago? And he talked about Jesus bringing the good news to the poor and releasing the captives. So I want to think about that a bit. Jesus was often in conflict with the religious leaders. So the way Jesus saw life and the way the religious leaders saw life were very, very different. The religious people were about being ritually clean, which means that they would go through these processes to make sure they were nice and clean so that they were acceptable to God, whereas God, whereas Jesus, hung with other people. I want to explain why the religious people were like that, why they were so devout on this ritually clean and being holy, if you like. They... The religious people and all of these people are Jewish. And the Jewish are a very proud nation of where they came from, their heritage. 
They believed that God gave them the land of Israel, the land of Judah. And that in about 600 BC, roughly, a little bit before that, there was a prophet called Jeremiah. And Jeremiah said, you guys are not doing what God wants you to do. You got it all wrong. You're stuffed up. And God is going to take you from your land. And of course, the people didn't believe it. They were quite prosperous. They were doing well. They said, no, 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 God's with us. God's blessed us. And then they ended up being taken into the Babylonian Empire. And then all of a sudden they realised, they go, hey, we stuffed up. We didn't do what God wanted. And so in that 70 years while they were in Babylon, I understand that's when they consolidated the Hebrew Bible, which we call the Old Testament. And it's where they actually looked at how to follow God and follow God's rules. And it's from that that the religious leaders have put their devotion into following God's rules. The Pharisees and the Sadducees were very devout. They would spend much of their time studying Moses' law. The Torah is the first five books of the Old Testament and also the prophets and the other writings which make up the rest of the Old Testament. They had to be ritually clean to enter the temple. So if I touched someone that was unclean, that also makes me unclean, and then I can't go to the temple. Then I've got to go through the ritually cleaning to get into the temple. Jesus, on the other hand, wasn't so concerned about that. He hung around people that the religious leaders rejected. We know that he touched lepers. We know that he healed people that were sick. And he was there with everyone else. I wanted to share this particular story, uh, which comes from Luke's Gospel, about the calling of Levi. So Jesus went out and saw a tax collector by the name of Levi. He's also referred to as Matthew in other Gospels. He was sitting at his tax booth. Jesus said, follow me. And Levi got up and followed him. Now Levi held a great banquet for Jesus at his house and a large crowd of tax collectors and others were eating with him. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law who belonged to their sect complained to the disciples. Why do you eat with the tax collectors and sinners? Let me put it in today's language. Why do you eat with scumbags and ratbags? Why don't you just come away from them? You're going to be this great teacher. Why are you hanging around such people like that? Um, Jesus responds to them, It is not the healthy that need a doctor, but the sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but I have come to call the lost. Here we can see that Jesus made a choice to say, there are all these barriers that are stopping people accessing God by not being ritually clean. And he's going to stand there and say, no, God is for everyone. And so you can access him, whether you are the brightest, intelligent person or whether you're the person that suffers the most horrible diseases or mental health or whatever. 
there should not be these barriers stopping people coming to Jesus and to God. So what about us? What are we like? Are we like the ritually clean and exclude people? Or do we love those that society rejects and those that can't come to God because of their own failures or feelings? Later on, one of the religious leaders asked Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? Now, every Jewish person would be able to recite without fail what's called the Shema. And it's the central theme of the Jewish faith. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one. The love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and with all your strength. And that would be the central religious faith statement for the Jewish people. That the Lord is one and that you should love the Lord your God with all your heart. I love the continuation on this. Um, not that I practice it, okay? I, I confess my own difficulties in practicing it. Is these commandments, so this is God speaking through Moses, these commandments I give to you today to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. Tie them as symbols. Uh, tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. In other words, in everyday life, remember God. Remember everything about God. Now, you may have seen some of the Orthodox Jews that they'll have a little box up here around there or on their arms, and that is having the Ten Commandments there. And it's a, a literal translation of this, which comes from Deuteronomy 6. Now, Jesus, when, when this religious leader asked him what's the greatest commandment, Jesus also goes on and says, the second commandment is that you will love your neighbour as yourself. And the whole of God's law uh, is dependent on these two commandments. So what does it mean to love your neighbour? Love is a strange word in, in the English dictionary. You know, I say, I love McDonald's. I love Holden cars or Ford cars. I love meat pies. That's not really what Jesus is saying about love. To me, a better word is kindness. Did I actually? Oh, yes, I did actually change that slide. Great. Is, is being kind to one another, being gentle, forgiving people when they stuff up, when they do things wrong, and letting go of bitterness of when someone has hurt you to say, yes, it hurt me, and let go of that. And wanting the very best for the other person. The next part of Jesus's life snapshot that I want to talk about is after Jesus has died on the cross and then he's risen to life, he's then met his, um, his disciples in Galilee and it's what we call the Great Commission. Then the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority 
in heaven and on earth have been given to me. Therefore go, make disciples of all nations, baptise them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teach them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am always with you to the very end of the age. I really, really don't like the term make disciples. I don't know about you, but I remember my history. I'm not very good at remembering a lot of history when I went to school. But I do remember the conquistadors coming into South America and they basically said, you either believe in Jesus or you die of the sword. And so that make disciples rings that sort of threatening, forcing people to make disciples. And I don't like that kind of method. To me, it's more about helping people to follow Jesus, helping people to know Jesus, and teaching about Jesus' ministry, death and resurrection, and Jesus' way of living. In this passage, he goes on and talks about baptising them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And baptism can be by immersion, which is what we would practice here at Brooklyn Park Church of Christ. Other churches, like the Anglicans, the Lutherans, some uniting churches, it'll be just a sprinkling of water over the forehead. Um, But that baptism is a symbol of being connected to Jesus. It's a public statement to say, I am going to be a follower of Jesus. So... How do we live a Jesus-centred life in a secular society? Be like Jesus, accept people when they, they get rejected by others, to celebrate God's presence in everyday life. The kingdom of God has drawn near. Change your thinking and believe the good news. Pray and meditate on God's word because the only way we're going to learn about Jesus is through the Bible. Yes, there are other things that are written about him, but this is probably the best snapshot that we'll get. Demonstrate God's love and peace so that others will know Jesus and that's by loving our neighbours as ourselves. And remember that Jesus is with us right through until the end of the age. I'm going to leave that slide... Oh, no, we've jumped. (laughs) There we go. I'm going to leave that slide up for a couple of minutes, just as our reflection, and to say, well, how do I live, and do I want to live a Jesus-centred life? And then I'll come back and, and pray.
Dear Lord Jesus, help us to follow you. Help us to learn from you. And help us to discover the ways you want us to live. It's hard being a Christian in, in this secular world where everyone does whatever they want to do. Help us to be motivated by you and energised by you. Help us to love you. Help us to love our neighbour. Help us to help those that are rejected or those that don't fit in wherever they may be and help us to have open eyes so that we can see what's really going on in the world and in the struggles that people may suffer. Help us, Lord, to let go of any bitterness that we may have and forgive people that do us wrong. Help us to celebrate that you are with us. Help us to acknowledge that the kingdom of God has drawn near and help us to change the way we think and believe it as good news. Just ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.